Welcome to episode 163 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Just wanted to touch base and let you know that last week was the 4th of July, and we normally record these on Wednesday, which is the day after the 4th. And frankly, we try to book several different uh, guests, but it didn't work out. So today, you're going to hear one of our legacy episodes featuring Don Cotter Jenkins. Enjoy. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. Hey, we want to welcome Don to the podcast. Don, tell us more about how you got into being a speech-language pathologist. Wow, the story of my entry into speech-language pathology was certainly not straightforward. Um, I really had never even heard of it, um, but I was a linguistics undergrad, you know, um, that uh, leads into very few options in my head. Um, if mm -hmm. I didn't want to do a second, uh, you know, like uh, focus on a second language or ESL, then what else could I do? So I actually took three years off between undergrad and grad school. A professor of mine, because I still lived on campus after I graduated, um, said, have you ever heard of speech pathology? I did speech pathology. <laughs> and maybe you might be interested in that because I think that that's related to linguistics. And so I looked into that and obviously um, was lucky enough to be accepted into a grad school. Um, I went to NYU and was accepted um, on the condition that I did my prerequisites. And um, <laughs> so that was, you know, obviously one of those fortuitous moments that led me into this area that I love so much and have had a lot of great experiences since then. So I am forever grateful to uh, Emil Adams, the late Emil Adams, who was the mm -hmm. professor who introduced me to um, speech pathology. Love that. That's what mine was. I wanted to be a teacher. And then my sister listened to a radio um, uh, 
a radio broadcast, but ah, I can't talk today. <laughs> See, this is an example of how we can edit things out. <laughs> so um, she listened to a radio program about the program that up at Utah State University. And she told me, this is what you should do. So I love it when other people are like, hey, I found this thing that you should do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. It's helpful. <laughs> yep. Yes, yes. Sometimes we don't have a direction for ourselves and it's nice to know that other people are thinking of us <laughs> and understanding where we might be happy. So that's Great. good too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So what directions has your career gone in since then? I like to say that um, I have specialized in before school and after school. And um, (laughs) that means that my first couple of years, I did do some part-time work in the school system, New York City school system. And I was working as a per diem speech teacher while I was in grad school and for the year after I graduated. However, um, after that, I left the school system, New York City school system. And um, I actually went to a preschool at first and then went to early intervention. So I really enjoyed working with the children that were tiny. I loved, um, I actually loved dysphagia with the children who were tiny. (laughs) I love that feeding um, component of things. I just love that whole lives need to be, you know, kind of part of the session. And so I did early intervention for many, many years. And additionally, I knew, always knew that I wanted to go into some version of accent modification. And of course, over time, it's kind of changed its way of working. But that's why I say the um, before school and after school, because it's like babies and adults, and even adults with developmental disabilities, I was working with many, many years through undergrad, because of my mother who was working, and I got a job with her and was working for, you know, her agency at the time and kept working. But those were adults with developmental disabilities. And again, you know, they were not in school. And so, you know, very varied kind of ways of working, but it paid off in the end, because I became a clinical supervisor um, at uh, Lehman College, which was, um, it's a CUNY college, which is a city university of New York. And um, The advantage for me was that I had worked in a variety of different places with a variety of different types of clients. So as a supervisor, I could supervise students in a variety of different, you know, settings or with, you know, a variety of different clients um, through the age range and still be able to feel confident in what I'm doing and be able to know where to look for the resources when I didn't know. So, you know, I'm not saying I knew everything by any stretch of the imagination but saying that um, it gave me the flexibility to be able to say, listen, let's try some of this. Let's go here. Let's look at this. And for me, I was very comfortable doing that with my students. So it was good fun. The the joys of supervising graduate students. That's right. (laughs) That's right. It reminds you of all the mistakes you used to make. Very, very true. And, very and still true. do. And still do. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not above a mistake or two per day. <laughs> so, yes. So I'm just, uh, just curious. Yeah. So for, so where, so where was it in New York city? Or um, outside? So, 
No, New York City. I also did um, clinical supervision at uh, another university in Long Island called the Delphi University. Adelphi. So, yes, right. Adelphi. Yes. So Madison. I've always been curious for gr- those graduate programs. You're mm-hmm. sending students out in the community. Yeah. Yes, we are. And they're navigating all over New York uh, City or just portions? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Um, that's an interesting question because, of course, I went to NYU, so I was in the city right. too. Um, I had never really um, thought of it as anything to be concerned about, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, the university, of course, uh, you know, sets students up in areas or, or settings that they trust. So absolutely. I I was um, even, you know, my undergrad, I did a a stint in Jamaica Hospital, which is in Jamaica, Queens. And uh, Mm -hmm. I did a preschool in the Bronx. Um, Yes, the New York City uh, (laughs) system for for our, you know, practica and externships is, is, yeah, it's, it's all around. It can be anywhere. It oftentimes is you know, it depends on the school. It depends on the, you know, who the connections are in the network, especially mm-hmm. with externships, as I'm sure, you know, it's a little bit right. tricky. Um, and yet, yeah, it can be, it can literally be anywhere, hospitals, schools, clinics, et cetera, throughout New York, but definitely usually within the, uh, the, the boroughs and the outer boroughs, let's just sure. say. So, you know, it can certainly be Westchester and Long Island, which are, you know, kind of bordering of New York City um, right. that, we, that we usually, yeah, we'll send them to. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my students, you know, get a little uh, bit out of shape if they have to drive 30 miles to to us to a site that they can park <laughs> in front of the, you know, the door and walk right in uh, versus taking subways and taxis yes. and other public transportation to get to a site and it, it's having highly plan, probable. <laughs> yeah. Having to plan that, you know, your day around all that and get back home or to your dorm or wherever you're living, your apartment. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. It can be tricky. I think, you know, by the time, you know, if, if students are, um, you know, living at home, they, they oftentimes have cars, but absolutely public transportation is a huge part of New York. Period. Right. So right. for sure, they might be taking trains. They mm-hmm. certainly might mm-hmm. be taking subways. Um, you know, and 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 certainly buses also. Yeah, that can happen. It can happen. Yeah. Well, that's it's just a part of the part of the process. Yeah, so. and the truth is, you know, everybody gets used to it, and there is some adventure in that, right? So. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit exciting sometimes, I think, mm-hmm. to them. But then they're like, yeah, but do I really have to do this? So <laughs> they question it, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm going to have to take, you know, two trains, a bus, and, a, <laughs> and an Uber to get there each day. So Yes. Yes. Sorry. It happens. Um, so uh, how did you go – how did telepractice start to creep into your career – how did that start? So I, my first telepractice client who I did not know was telepractice because I'd never heard the term before, right, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, was around um, 2013. And I had, I was working with an agency, I was subcontracting with an agency to work with professional voice users for accent modification and professional speech. And the, the person that I was working with said, 
that they have this client who who comes from Brazil and is working on the way that he's speaking so that he can do video presentations for his business. He was a business owner and he was um, doing video presentations for his business and he wanted to speak more clearly so that when Mm -hmm. he wanted to do presentations and and be interviewed, et cetera, he would be better understood. And so he came to New York. I did an evaluation and then he left from New York and went back to Brazil. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, like, I will be coming back periodically, but can you work virtually? And of course, I said, of course. I mean, why would I say no? I'm going to say yes. Um, And not knowing anything about telepractice, never hearing the term before, I happily saw him on Skype and FaceTime and however we Mm -hmm. could connect at the time and did not call any you know, um, state or sorry, country regulators of speech pathology. So I did everything theoretically wrong. (laughs) We won't tell anybody. We'll keep the secret. (laughs) So, um, so that was my first foray into telepractice. And um, of course I had a, had a very, you know, good time, you know, doing it and enjoyed it and realized this was a possibility. Yes. So that that was the initial version for me. And then from there, did you? And so were you? You were working at the university there at that time, right? Um, With this, I I was. I was not working in the clinic. I was not working in the clinic at the time. No. So I. um, So which is which is actually probably right before I was working in the clinic as I'm like counting the numbers. It's like it's possible. Mm-hmm. It's possible I was actually. I've you know I've all the years blur into one lately. Um so uh, yeah. It seems <laughs> as we get older it kind of happens. <laughs> happens so, to me uh, all the time. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I'm like I can't keep track anymore. But you know it's possible mm-hmm. that I was actually working at the university, but it, it had nothing to do with the university. So I never connected right. the dots with anything else that I could do with telepractice at the time. I certainly was not looking for opportunities to spread the information, um, mostly because Mm -hmm. I really just was not familiar enough with it myself. And actually what happened was that I joined the board of the New York State Licensing Board soon thereafter. And Mm -hmm. they, you know, brought up this this crazy idea that we should have... um, (laughs) telepractice guidelines and they wanted because telepractice was on the horizon and who around the table could talk about telepractice or who wanted to lead that committee. And um, I, 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 you know, sheepishly said that I had some experience doing telepractice and looked around and everybody was like, you're it because (laughs) none of them had it. That's it. So that is how it became more of, you know, where I started looking for the research and started looking for the trends and started Mm -hmm. paying more attention to what we were doing and how we were supposed to be doing it as opposed to what I was doing beforehand. Um, And so, yeah, that's that's how it went. And 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 if my timeline is off, basically just, you know, bear with me. It was around those years <laughs> that those mm-hmm. things happened. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a blur, as I said. But yeah. We don't fact check. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. 
Yeah, we're we're too poor to have a fact checker on on staff. <laughs> I I could look up the invoices or something, but I you know you're good. But, you're yeah. Good. <laughs> So, and then, so did you come back to telepractice more between that and when the pandemic hit or was that kind of the, the big driving force? So no, um, for me, I definitely came back to telepractice, you know, since then. And, um, with my private clients, my adults, especially, um, I would, I would see clients individually at that time with telepractice, um, meaning online services and started to, of course, when I was at Adelphi, I was exploring for the university to be able to establish their telepractice program. So that became um, in 2017, much more of a reason to Mm -hmm. look at it, implement it, you know, set up a course, really, really dig into what students, you know, new clinicians will need to have, I thought, (laughs) going into um, the world for a future. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, so that's when I, you know, pushed, pushed a little bit harder on my awareness because clients would call me, they would be remote, they would be, you know, far away or busy. Um, Most Mm -hmm. of the time, people that are looking for professional voice services are busy professionals. They are not people that really want to spend an hour traveling. Um, And so, you know, they are definitely, you know, primed, so to speak, to be able to say, oh, you know, we could do this more conveniently by, you know, online. Let's try it, you know. And so they definitely, you know, were, were receptive to it. And so, you know, then the next move was trying to figure out what you know, what I could do as far as uh, getting, then getting the word out, because then I realized it was, you know, part of what I would want to do moving forward myself. And again, because we were putting it out as practice guidelines for the board, I knew that that was going to be something. And and New York State at that time was also approving their, you know, insurance acceptance for telepractice. Um, And so again, it was it was kind of perfect timing to say this is what's mm-hmm. going to happen more than mm-hmm. likely. So please, you know, let's let's go go with the program rather than wait for the train to run us over. Then twenty twenty uh, happened, uh, and, and then the happened. train hit everyone <laughs> in twenty twenty. <laughs> right. That's what I was just thinking about how a lot of times we think of telepractice as being a good resource for people that are in rural communities, yeah. but then we forget that sometimes it takes just as long, like Todd was talking about, to get across somewhere that is, you know, urban too, that travel in urban places can be, you know, cost prohibitive and time prohibitive for a lot of our clients. So that's a, another, I don't know, good way to think about uh, why we should do telepractice. I agree wholeheartedly. One of the things that I've been, um, I've been talking to people a lot about, even, you know, as you say, you know, we oftentimes think of it as being uh, a re the reason why we need telepractice is because of the rural areas. And yes, Mm -hmm. that is definitely Mm -hmm. true. Of course, um, people can be spread out, can need um, services to kind of come to them, so to speak. But I, I know just knowing New York, city and knowing what city areas can be like. Um, There are some underserved communities that do not get um, services because 
um, for, for a variety of reasons, <laughs> for a variety mm -hmm. of reasons, right. but I will right. tap into a little bit of what Todd said, which is students not wanting to go there, right? And, and right. although it's not students, it would be professionals, but part mm -hmm. of it is that, you know, and, and let me let me get a little philosophical. Sure. As a speech pathologist or in our area of speech and audiology and hearing sciences, we are, um, you know, we are a small group of people. And the people that can that usually hear about it and can participate in these programs and get their graduate degrees in these programs, doctorates and master's degrees, are not necessarily people that are, um, you know, without money, let's just say, and in right. the lowest socioeconomic um, uh, strata. And for that reason, those areas are not producing speech pathologists that want to go back to those particular areas. Mm -hmm. Now, there may be, of course, I taught in a city university. There are definitely people that live in New York City. But when asked, there are preferen preferences to where they want to work after they graduate. And unfortunately, for example, there are certain areas such as the Bronx and a place called Far Rockaway that are in Queens and the Bronx um, and that that a lot of people do not want to go to because they are out of the way and or um, what they consider to be, you know, questionable neighborhoods, let's just say. Mm -hmm. And so it's been a long standing issue that students in these areas that are needy. So again, back to the school system, right. students that are needy are not getting the services. Hospitals that are in those areas are probably not getting enough mm -hmm. speech pathologists applying for those jobs, you know, things like that. So yes, unfortunately, there's definitely a need across those areas also that, you know, we definitely have some, some stats and some facts around, you know, what's going on or not going on there. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. We've, we've certainly seen in a, in a similar way uh, here in Ohio. Now I should preface what I'm going to say that I think Ohio has 13 or 14 graduate programs in speech language pathology. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have three times as many. Yes. It, it drives me nuts. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a big state, but you know, that's a lot of programs. Uh, but there's, we have there's three a... in Utah, so there's some <laughs> <All right>. perspective. <laughs> wow. Wow. Three in the whole state. Yep. I would not have known that. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. But, but they only have 150 people to live in the state. So, right. <laughs> and Kim's related to all of them. So, all of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, but there's, there's sort of a stretch of, uh, of, I would say southeastern uh, Ohio, bordering with uh, some with Pennsylvania and with uh, with West Virginia, that they just can't attract any students, any of our graduates to go there. Not only our graduates, but from any of the universities, even even students we get from time to time that grow up in those areas, they don't want to go back. They want to go, you know, find their fortune, so to speak, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's, you know, only us, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But yes, I don't you know, it's really a, a surprising thing. I think that people don't keep uh, front of mind that because mm -hmm. we're such a small field that mm -hmm. 
we really do have to kind of like, you know, select <laughs> certain things. I know that when I first started, because, you know, for me, it was kind of exciting. I was like, yeah, I'm not from New York City. I'm from England. Easy. You know, that's just a long story, but that's where I first came from. So New York City is kind of like romantic. I'm like, yay, right. let's go. So I was willing to go to Bushwick. I was willing to travel everywhere. Bed-Stuy. I was like, sure, send me anywhere. But five years in, I was like, this is putting a lot of miles on my car. I don't know that this is the wisest, you know, course of action for me to do, you know, services everywhere. And even I had to say, you know what, I need to pick places that I can kind of see a lot of kids in, in one, one space. It, right. I, I still do the city because that's mm -hmm. where I live, but I do it around my area, which is also, um, you know, underserved area, but not as bad as, you know, those other two areas that I was talking about before. And, um, and I, you know, see kids closer to home without having to travel as much or in pockets where I could see the, see a few kids at a time. So again, that's, you know, that, that was my preference. That was my decision. That was my, you know, turnaround and my awareness that I didn't have to travel across everywhere, but, mm -hmm. um, but it comes with time. And, it, you know, again, there's still lots of need. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, we are people in a helping position and I get what you're saying that it's like, it's hard to say no. It's hard to not just be like, okay, I'll go everywhere. I'll do everything. Yes, and I'm just right. barely, you know, 12 years into this profession, getting to the point where I'm like, nope, that one I'm not going to do. <laughs> it takes a while to, to learn how to say no. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I think um, I really want to know kind of what it was like when the pandemic hit in New York, because I, you guys were kind of the hardest hit and the first hit. And huh. what was that like for, for everything and, you know, trying to carry on and provide services? So, um, you know, <laughs> because I was working at the university at the time, our biggest, you know, my, my biggest awareness at first was the students and their needs because I'm specifically a clinical, you know, supervisor. I'm aware of what's going on on that side, knowing that we'd see clients, clients are coming in and out. We were shut down, obviously, as like with everyone else. And for me, of course, you know, I had a little bit of a, I must admit that I had a little bit of a, a I told you so moment. Um, when people, you know, were coming and saying like, maybe telepractice should be, you know, our option, but it wasn't an easy turnaround. I was mm -hmm. the only supervisor out of four, um, five, excuse me, speech clinic supervisors, um, for speech specifically. And audiology had its own clinical supervisors mm -hmm. on campus. And I was the only one that was doing telepractice. In on site, I was sitting in the room with the students while they were seeing clients that were outside of campus, so to speak, right? So they were right. in their homes, they were wherever they were, and I was supervising them directly, physically with me. And so I had, I, I want to say that at the time I had about six clients, but I, you know, again, will not, will not, uh, please don't hold it against me if I had fewer or more. I think it was about six. It probably was four. I don't know. I'm losing numbers. Um, but 
we had those clients that were already set up and they were already being seen, of course, because this is March, they were already being seen. And so they had sessions that were already going on. The students that were seeing the, the in-person clients, those were the ones that, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, even the other ones were like, what are we supposed to do? But let's continue. Let's continue. Mm-hmm. You, you're where you are and I'm where I am and we can do this online. We all sign in at this time and do this thing. And um, the other students who had in-person clients, um, because of ASHA allowing more students to be able to be in sessions at the same time, were able to participate in those sessions and, um, you know, also sign in and participate in, you know, and pick up um, a couple of hours for, you know, for each week. And... Yes, it was quite hectic. The training process, obviously, at that point, as far as both sides of the table, so to speak, and both sides Mm -hmm. of the camera, or three sides of the camera, frankly, because it's a supervisor, a student clinician, and the client, you know, I had to really pull together, frankly, or pull out (laughs) all Mm -hmm. the things that I had been doing and share it and disseminate it with the other clinical supervisors. And they were very receptive. They also did their own research and they participated in several, you know, many, many, many of those online mm-hmm. webinars. And, um, you know, it was it was that moment because over time, I, um, you know, it, at that point had been three years that we were actually doing the program for, for telepractice. So I had already had, you know, over a hundred sessions under my belt. So I was, you know, comfortable. And, and, and of course I had invited everybody, believe me, <laughs> to come to the telepractice, you know, suite, see what we're doing, you know, participate in the, the, the um, online, I had a class, so we would have guest speakers. So come when the guest speakers come, listen to what's going on, you know, get acclimated to what telepractice is going to be. So I, I was happy to to have them come because I felt, that, you know, like finally I'm able to show them what <laughs> we're doing and how we're doing it. So it was nice. It worked out. My, you know, my director was very receptive. She always was. She's very supportive. The chairperson was obviously supportive. Um, mm-hmm. And so the truth is, you know, it was just, you know, my time to shine. Right. Mm-hmm. So, right. <laughs> but, We're um, finally the cool kids at the table. <laughs> <laughs> right. I know. Classic mm-hmm. nerd. I was like, look at me. I know <laughs> stuff. Um, so, <laughs> but um, but obviously it, it, it expanded beyond the clinic because those students that were in their externships also needed some information Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know everybody to the extent uh just you know would start to kind of come around the the, during the summer we actually have summer um sessions at the university so during the summer we actually had already gotten a a nice little rhythm we had set up some of the clients that were in person to now come online and so every all of the supervisors were participating all of them had clients and so by the summertime everybody was doing it in the springtime, mm-hmm. though, only I was doing it. And then, you know, we were kind of as best as could be expected at that point. We're ready to do our our version of clinic online. Um, the externship students, that's a whole different discussion. Because, sure. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're all over the place. Yeah. 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 So how, so 
in, in looking at um, your background a bit, I, uh, I'll uh, admit that I, I, I looked on LinkedIn and, and saw <laughs> a little bit about you. Uh, you also have what's called world-class speech. Is that your private practice? Yes, world-class speech services is my private mm-hmm. practice, and I've had it for, for all those years. Mm-hmm. Um, I have transitioned, obviously, in the last um, year mm-hmm. to really, um, really, my anticipation and my, um, you know, intention, rather, is to work with clinics, schools, hospitals, professionals in the, in the field um, mm-hmm. for them to develop their telepractice programs that are out of emergency mode and into sustainability mode and growth mode. So mm-hmm. that is my, my hope <laughs> to do. Sure. <laughs> and as far as telepractice, you know, I, I will continue to, you know, advocate for, the possibilities. I think that for us, we should be, you know, cognizant, frankly, that we are able to do this in similar ways to telemedicine and telehealth, mm-hmm. and that we are looking to, you know, build on, frankly, what we've done to get to the next levels to make sure as, um, as, as, as Todd said in the book, you know, like we've got to get more, not that you said, said this, but in the book, there was a, a statement about how we, you know, continue to need more research done that makes it so that we can, you know, know that this is a good way of, of practice. And believe me, um, so last year, or excuse me, yeah, last year I graduated with a second master's degree in healthcare mm-hmm. informatics. And the reason why I chose healthcare informatics, among a couple of other reasons, was that mm-hmm. it connected well to telemedicine and telehealth, as far as the technology and the, um, you know, the, the movement towards EHR systems, EMR systems, mm-hmm. etc. So mm-hmm. I felt that it married well with what I wanted to do moving forward. And so I had already started once again, like I was already like, I know that this is coming. I'm ready for Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not know COVID-19 was coming. So (laughs) I was not at all ready for that. Um, But I did Mm -hmm. know that telehealth and telemedicine were already underway. And that telepractice, of course, we've been talking about meeting ASHA and speech pathology and audiology. I've been talking about telepractice for 15 years, years. It's been out there. It's been possible. It's been building and it's been growing and it's been, um, the seeds were planted and have been, um, you know, useful. We've been useful in kind of bringing things together, but not in a fast way. (laughs) We are very slow with adoption in our area. And so, um, you know, for me, I thought that it would be a good, you know, a good marriage of, of what, what I wanted to do. So I think, I mean, I, I'm grateful, you know, once again, that somebody whispered in my ear and said that these, these things are happening so that I could, you know, pay attention. And um, so, yeah, I'm taking that, that combination, so to speak, to, to put together this, you know, this, this new area of my business. So, you know, world-class speech services is going to focus 
purely on adult speech services because, you know, mm-hmm. I can't, I got to do something. I, I feel like there's something that's going to continue on. So I'm psyched about that. Um, and um, so the private practice, elective services, so to speak, that um, adults do for a, um, professional voice use and corporate speech pathology. And um, then the other part, which is, you know, my big push, um, you know, online is to do the, the telepractice trainings and development, which is really what I'm really, really trying to get people to understand. We can do this systematically. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be, yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, strung together, together like MacGyver. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So tell us about some of the resources you use and that you've created while you're getting people geared up to do more telepractice. Yes. Well, I have created a program, a planner, actually. Um, I certainly um, have used the information that I've learned over the last four years to put this together, right? So the research that I was doing um, while setting up the curriculum at Adelphi and, you know, obviously, for me, um, the planner is a, it, it, my, again, my intention is that the planner will be used so that people can know kind of the components of how to start telepractice. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as businesses, as businesses or as, you know, clinics or as, you know, like the business side of things, I think the right. how to's of people doing, you know, I'm on screen and I hold up a picture or I, you know, put slides up and I bring things up mm-hmm. and I make things touch control and whatever else, all of those things are super valuable and out there. <laughs> a lot right. of people right. have done that <laughs> and that's right. great. I'm happy that so many resources are out there for that. Yeah. Um, but I think that some people, again, um, who own private practices or who are directors of clinics, they kind of went with the flow, but yeah. may, as we've said before, kind of say like, maybe I don't have to do this and go back to their almost, you know, their comfort zone of not having a sustainable telepractice program. And so this planner, in theory, should be able to help people pull, you know, who they need, their personnel, their goals, um, make it more strategic and make it more um, systematic, frankly, because that's Mm -hmm. how I had to do it. And really, I took it from my experience while I was, you know, at Adelphi again. So part of the learning and part of the experience, because the truth is, I didn't know when I said, I want to do a telepractice program, who I needed to talk to, and where Mm -hmm. the money was coming from. You know, I was, you know, the chairperson asked me, like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to do this. But that didn't mean I could do it. It just meant that I wanted to. So putting right. together that plan, that that um, timeline, um, speaking to IT, um, the dean, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. who you know those those strategic um, people that are in your that are in your corner that are advocating mm-hmm. for what you want, and that frankly have the resources that you need, which is the right. other part of things. And then, of course, doing it in a way that builds. And mm-hmm. that um, does not forget training of the the clients, training of the caregivers and e helpers, mm-hmm. um, you know things like that, so that you ha- so that everybody has a good guideline towards. 
I, I guess structure, more structure yeah. and less less chaos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because again, I think that the majority, as we were saying before, came to telepractice through COVID-19 times, mm-hmm. so through mm-hmm. 2020, mm-hmm. 2021, not as a, you know, conscious decision to follow through with this one area. It was there. It was available. SIG 18 was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it could have, it could have happened. There's, there's certainly enough, you know, enough of us that were doing it before. So that's great. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority of people were, 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 you know, late comers and, you know, picked up as best as they could and are doing great. And some of them are doing great. And of course, some of them are doing less than great. And the other part, though, is that right. some of those that are doing less than great probably want to do better, right? Like, we are good yeah. people. Like you said, Kim, we are in a helping mm-hmm. profession. We want to help people. We want to do well. We don't want to, you know, stick a, a, a you know a picture in front of people and not have them, you know, focus or, you know, we don't want to do the wrong things. We want to do the right yeah. things. So the truth is, I think that this is one way that I'm trying to, you know, give options to kind of pull it back in and structure a flow that makes sense for the long term. Right, right. And I do hope that some, especially in the private practice, that there's people who, you know, have realized that this is something that they can use long term, that whether it not be what they do all of the time, but just how much it opens up the clientele that you can serve. Like, like Todd said, I live somewhere where there's only 150 people, (laughs) but but no, I like when I tried to have a private practice on the side and I lived in a small community, I would get maybe two to three people that would be interested in my services. And then some of them would drop off because they wouldn't be willing to pay for the services that I was providing mm-hmm. in the small, this small rural area. And when I could open it up, I'm like, well, I know how to do telepractice anyways. Why am I not doing it in my private practice? <laughs> and it was some of those things. Like I didn't know how to, you know, how would I build people? How would I use a platform that wasn't my platform I was using at my, um, online site and things like that, that were barriers even for me having done telepractice before. And, but when I opened that up, I was like, oh, I can see kids throughout the whole state and in these other two States that I'm certified in. And it just, um, I think especially for private practice, it could just can open it up so much more to what you can do and what you can serve. And especially if you're in something like, you know, dialect uh, modification or accent modification where you're so specialized, people need you and they need you everywhere. (laughs) And so if you can, if you can add that on, I think that's so great. And I do, I agree too, with what you said about, there's a lot of us saying um, how to do teletherapy, but not the how to set it up, how to make it manageable. And I think that's definitely filling a need that was there um, with the information that was out there. Yeah, I, I also agree with you to say that um, that you know, as we, as those of us who were using it before, like it's not that it comes naturally, so to speak, right? Like nope. it's like I don't know how to 
you know, I know how to do speech pathology, but do I know how to run a business, right? Like, and, and how right. do you set that up to kind of like bring other people in? And what does that really look like? And who else can I talk to, to, to help me, frankly, to do mm-hmm. it? Who are these key people that I need to talk to? Um, how do I need to structure my time? And then how do I need to structure the training if I'm working mm-hmm. with other people also? And again, mm-hmm. some of those other people are the caretakers. And, and that, that's, you know, that's a huge part of the, the you know, trainings that we have to do as, as new clinicians or clinicians that are new to the client. Um, you know, we need to tell, you know, them what, what we are expecting and they need to tell us that they understand that those expectations right. and can help us, frankly, because they are there. In fact, one of the interesting things was that one of my first um, or, or last, really, I shouldn't say first because that's not true at all. Well, um, <laughs> one of the trainings that I went to um, was uh, um, a person with a cochlea uh, child, early intervention, cochlea implant. And they were in another state and it was being kind of, um, I want to say it was a training that somebody was giving and that they had a client that was willing to be the, you know, the, the, the sample for the day. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so this child with the cochlear implant was very young and they were in a whole different state. And the idea that, that I did not even think about at that time was giving that parent training. Like I really, because I work with adults who talk mm-hmm. to me and follow directions, I was really not even thinking that I needed to talk to somebody else. So even that thought about saying like, that's a that's something that I really never put into practice because I didn't need it. And yet it's absolutely necessary when we're working with children across the board, mm-hmm. frankly, from 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 babies to teenagers, let me be clear. <laughs> Those teenagers can be quite quite uh, as, as difficult, so to speak. Oh, oh, I had want, to threaten. Just... Yeah, I had to threaten one yesterday that if he turned off the camera one more time, I was calling his principal. So, <laughs> yeah, <See? yes. laughs> it, there's 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 definitely expectations that we have. Mm. So yes, yes. yes. And it's nice if there's a power in the room, uh, you know, to, to, to give them a little cue to say, you know, no, you can't do this right now. We're, we're focused on what we're supposed to be focused on. And that's on this, you know, this lesson happening on your screen. Let's mm-hmm. do that. So again, yes, um, the idea for me is to give a, a missing link, a missing link of what more to do. There's, there's always, I feel like, you know, this is my, um, this is my my first planner, but I'm sure it won't be my last planner. It will be, um, you know, it will be a good, it, it's a good starting point. I think it's a good starting point. But I, I even have things that I'm like, I wish that I, you know, could add more to it. I just didn't want to overcomplicate it, frankly. And sure. I wanted to have essentials rather than, you know, those, those extras. So yeah. the extras will come. <laughs> All in good time, right? Yes. Well, Dawn, it's just been incredible talking to you. I think uh, we're at our point of uh, the most important part of this conversation. (laughs) And we call it our our moment of Zen, where we ask you some questions. All right. I'll try to be Zen. (laughs) So you you can answer these questions any way you want. 
one word answers, or you can elaborate, whatever you want to do. Okay. okay. There are no rules. All right. Hope I get okay. them right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so we're not going to ask you to name all the 12 cranial nerves and things like that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so first question is, what's the most used app on your phone? To not tell a lie, it's Facebook. <laughs> okay. Hey, that's, that's how fine. I found you. So that's great. See? See? <laughs> it brought us together. So that's, that's, that's fine. Yeah, that, that's the truth. That is the truth. Yes. <laughs> um, what was the last TV series you streamed? Manifest. Ooh. And they yeah. got they they're coming back for another season. They got it. They proof. have to come back for another season. I was left, uh, you know, with questions. Mm-hmm. I need right. I need answers. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, what's a favorite book? A favorite book. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, in some ways there are so many, but um, <laughs> all right because it's just coming to mind mm-hmm. um becoming by michelle obama i have it i've, I've read okay. yeah. yes very interesting story <laughs> yeah and, and i'm i'm reading uh president obama a president yes. obama's book too so me too yes yeah, i am currently story. reading that on audiobook i haven't quite gotten through that that's quite a long book too yeah it is it is <laughs> Uh, now we're going to go a little more philosophical. Uh, if you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? I should have thought of this ahead of time. I know I should have. Okay, so one law or behavior that everyone has to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that the hmm. Gosh, this is such a hard, this is a hard one for me. I think I'm probably too liberal (laughs) to be able to make up one thing everyone should do. How Mm -hmm. about we should all call our mothers, if we can, on a weekly basis? (laughs) Okay, be nice to our mothers. That Yeah, you know, I, I maybe I'm feeling a little guilty right now about not calling mom. So, <laughs> do we need to talk about you calling your mom more often? <laughs> no, that's a good one. That is a good one. Um, another one. If uh, who would you like to have dinner with, dead or alive? Besides the Obamas. <laughs> yeah. <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Um, okay, so I'm going to go with Maya Angelou. Actually, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. She was great. She was at ASHA a few years ago. And just unfortunately, I missed that. And, you know, that will be one of my regrets of life. Right. Um, But yes, I I love I love Maya Angelou and loved her and, you know, appreciated her work. So, yeah, it was it was an incredible experience to see her. And it was amazing that, you know, there's probably a thousand, twelve hundred people in the audience and everyone was just hanging on every word. It was oh just amazing. Oh my gosh, that's so great! I'm so glad you got to go. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I, really nice I wish time. I was there too. It was really a nice time. Um, what's uh, the most exotic or farthest place you've ever been? 
the farthest place I have been is Australia. And yes, I did go to Australia. And yes, it's different. (laughs) It's definitely different. Um, And um, I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. And yeah, we did all the things that we should do when we go that far. I saw koalas and kangaroos. Um, Not that I'm a big animal person, but I did it anyway. And, um, you know, swam uh, across, I want to say a barrier reef, but um, they have, I forgot the name of the, the particular one we went to. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was actually quite, quite a dream come true. I'm, I've, I've got to admit, um, even though um, I will say the second and other place, that was the furthest place, but the other place would be, um, I went to South Africa. And that mm-hmm. was also oh, wow. a dream come true. So I was very mm-hmm. pleased to go there. Thank you know, like I was so so excited, so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, next question: What's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way you want. Don't worry, everyone will understand. I did a tandem jump from a plane. I did oh, that. My goodness. Yeah, that that was that that I did not find it to be fun. <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> I was, I was mm. definitely, and it was, it was Thanksgiving. It was like seven of us that were, you know, kind of taking turns jumping. Mm. And, you know, I, I didn't want to be outdone. I'm, I'm that kind of person that, you know, if you dare me, I will, I'll have to take that dare. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, yeah, I did skydiving. So that, that's scary. You know, you have a perfectly good airplane and people want to jump out of it. I don't understand it. Believe me, I still don't understand it. <laughs> um, what's a what's a pet peeve that you have? Wow. <laughs> what's a pet peeve that I have? Um, I have several pet peeves. I'm trying to think of one that... Um, Probably there is, uh, I don't like to hear the sound of chewing gum. So uh, people chewing that, their gum loudly. Too loudly. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fan. Yeah. I'm not a fan of mouth noises of people eating or chewing things like Correct. that. Correct. 100%. I can't stand. Yeah. I can't stand when people are on television chewing gum. <laughs> why, <laughs> why, why are you still have that gum in your mouth and you know you're on TV? <laughs> Um, next question is if you didn't choose your current profession, Mm. what profession would you like to try? Oh, this is an easy one because I love to travel. I would Mm. totally love to be a, um, a a writing, (laughs) I would write and travel. So uh, some sort of travel writer, I would love to do that. I, Mm. I think that that, that would be a fun, interesting career that I would very happily uh, go into. I, I suspect it's an expensive career, but Hey, if I'm getting paid for it, then that's right. It's, it's just a job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so the last question comes, this is actually a list from the, the Proust uh, questionnaire. So this is probably the only question that actually dates back to Proust. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say? When you arrive at the pearly gates. Well done. 
Well done. Know. Come in, yes. have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear God say, well done. Right. That would be, yes, that, that's all I need to hear, frankly. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you are doing well, and we really do appreciate everything that uh, you've shared with us on the podcast, and and we wish you just the continued success in all that you're doing. It's exciting. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to, you know, present what I'm doing and get to meet you, frankly, because uh, obviously, as I said before, I've read your book, (laughs) (laughs) the Bible of speech pathology, basically, um, uh, for telepractice, that is, excuse me. Um, And, um, and, and truthfully, you know, I, I'm glad that although this, you know, last year has been very difficult, it has turned into this opportunity. So I, I appreciate you know, I appreciate you inviting me, Kim, and reaching out to me and finding me on Facebook. And um, it was great meeting you. And, you know, I'll send some people to your states to, to help you mm-hmm. out. <laughs> and, and how can people reach you if they want to uh, hire you to help set up a telepractice program? What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. I have a uh, website um, that is for world-class speech services. And um, just so that you don't have to type out the entire words, you do wcspeech.com. And um, I am on Facebook and LinkedIn. And certainly we can connect on any of the social media platforms. I'm also on Instagram. It's just not as exciting to me. Um, Maybe I'm too old for Instagram. You're more of a TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, I'm too old for TikTok, so it's fine. So yes, those are those are some good places to to check check in with me. Thank you. Awesome. Well, good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Nice meeting you. Dawn was an exciting guest to have on the podcast, and we wish her nothing but continued success in all that she's doing. And if you don't mind helping us be more successful. Leave us a five-star review that always helps us to attract new listeners and new subscribers, uh, which is what we want to do. We want to spread the good news about telepractice, service delivery, and, and what a meaningful difference it can make in the lives of the patients and the clients that we're working with. So please, a five-star review. And with that, we will be back again next week with another great episode So stay tuned. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.